Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's show, I am absolutely thrilled to be bringing to you an interview with, well, with some birth industry celebrities, actually. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Hannah Darlin and Kate Levitt, who are together a research team, but also uh, Hannah is a professor of midwifery over in Sydney. Kate is a research fellow. They are behind a number of very important studies around birth. And it was because of a study they carried out last year that I got in touch with them. And so today we're going to be talking about well, about some of the outcomes of those studies and some of the things that we can learn about, but also specifically around fear as well and how fear can really play a vital role in birth. And so there is so much that we are going to talk about. I think today's interview is going to be really great for mums to listen, but also for midwives and birth professionals, because one thing that we talk about is really how fear in the birth space is not just something for the mother to deal with and to handle. She takes it all on the chin, but actually anybody can bring fear into that birth space and so that we all have a role to play. So yeah, a really great chat coming up, but I got a few things to do before I hand over to that chat. First of all, I have got some shout outs. So my first shout out goes up to Angelina. Now Angelina, she's got four weeks to go until her due date and she is was tocophobic, but no longer. We were working together. She was in my tocophobia support group and she emailed me this weekend and she just wanted to share this, which I just want to share with you. I hope you don't mind, Angelina. She said, my doctor asked me at my last appointment how my anxiety level is doing. And she had that cool moment when she looked inside and realised that that gripping fear that was killing her before isn't there. And I told him that I feel empowered and that the fear isn't there like it used to be. And she cannot wait for her C-section, which is a far cry from where she was when we started working together. So Angelina, that made me so happy to get that email from you. And I'm sure you are going to rock it completely. And now I want to say hello to Amy. Now, Amy, is pregnant. She's just found out she's expecting twins and she is looking for a natural twin birth mama to share her birth story. So if you know a lady who's had a twin birth, natural vaginal birth, who is happy to come on the podcast, then put her in touch with me because I would love to share her story so that people like Amy can hear a positive birth that's a vaginal birth for twins. So do get in touch with me here at the show, Alexi at fearfreechildbirth.com. Now I want to say a shout out to Katie. Katie is super, super excited uh, to get started on her fear-free childbirth prep. So hello to you, Katie. And then Jen. Jen is due any day and she emailed me to say she's experienced anxiety previously and was slightly birth phobic. In fact, every time her friends were due to give birth, she'd get load of anxiety for them and would feel physically sick. But she says she feels that things have really changed for her. She's been clearing her fears and feels so much more confident in her body. She's planned for a home birth, which was not what she was thinking when she got pregnant. And she's got her birth in a pool box ready to go. And her husband is fully on board and he's been learning loads too. So she just wanted to say a big thank you because she said, regardless of what happens when she gives birth, she believes that I've helped her, her baby and her husband to have a much better experience. So I just want to say thank you for emailing me, Jen, and sharing that with me and I wish you all the best. Perhaps you've already given birth by the time this podcast comes out. I don't know. But anyway, good luck with it. Okay. And then I got a little announcement as well, just before I dive into the interview. I'm going to be doing a webinar um, for mums-to-be who are really keen to learn what the key steps are to help them to prepare for a positive birth experience. So if you're interested and you want to come on the call, I'm going to be doing some live Q&As, then you just need to go to the Fear Free Childbirth homepage. There's going to be a big box that says sign up for the webinar and that's all you need to do. It's going to be in the next week. So if you are interested in coming on the webinar, then just sign up on the homepage at fearfreechildbirth.com. Okay, now back to today's 
topic, which is really, I, I, I say topic, it's fear in birth. We talk about antenatal education, the kind of childbirth education that is really worth undertaking, what you need to be learning about as part of your education, how you need to be really mindful of some of the more negative aspects of birth that you might pick up through the culture that surrounds you and the media that is around you as well. These are all the kind of things that we're talking about here when I chat to Hannah Darlin and Kate Levitt over in Australia. It really is a fascinating conversation, like I said earlier, that I think will be useful for both mums-to-be but also birth professionals. So here it is. Here's the time that I spoke to both Hannah and Kate. I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, welcome Hannah and Kate to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with me on the show. Now, um, before we start, I'd love to just invite you both to talk a little bit more about who you are and what you do. So Hannah, would you mind going first, please? Sure. My name is um, Hannah Darlin. I'm Professor of Midwifery at Western Sydney University. And I've been a midwife for 26 years now. I still practice now. I, I'm part of a private group practice in Sydney and um, providing care for women from, you know, the moment the blue line appears on the stick and uh, coming in and, and attending their births, mostly home births, um, in our group practice and then caring for them for six weeks afterwards. And that's, that's you know, a very important, passionate part of what I do. And then my kind of really paid, I suppose, full-time job is um, uh, doing a lot of research and um, also teaching and um, you know I also I also do some governance work managing all of the higher degree research programs so yeah I have a really really diverse um, uh, sort of area of interest but fear is most definitely become probably my growing interest and I feel is, is at the heart of what is going wrong in maternity care. Okay, well, I'd love to sort of go back and chat about that in a bit. But Kate, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about who you are? Okay, so I'm um, a researcher and currently I'm a research fellow at University of Notre Dame in the School of Medicine. And I'm an adjunct fellow at Western Sydney University at the National Institute of Complementary Medicines. So I'm a researcher and particularly in maternal health. And I'm also a health educator. I have a teaching background and a research background which has led me to the health education side and I'm also an acupuncturist and I have a clinic, a private clinic in Sydney where I work part-time and work at the university part-time and the large majority of my clients are around fertility and pregnancy care. We, uh, we're very closely situated to a large tertiary hospital in Sydney and so we see a lot of a lot of women for their pregnancy care and I just see amazing things happen at the acupuncture clinic and I just see what a big difference it makes to women and to birth and how we can support women in lots of different ways from the moment they get pregnant or helping them to get pregnant right through to the labour and birth. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we've got a real wealth of knowledge here. So I hope that I can really honour my listeners by getting as much of this brilliant information that you guys both have on birth and pregnancy and, and get the relevant stuff out for my listeners. So first of all, Hannah, I'd like to go back to you. You mentioned that fear was really central to the work that you do. And I'd like to sort of understand a little bit more about that and why you think fear is coming to be such a central theme for women around birth. Mm, yeah, well, fear is... Um an all-pervading concept and, you know, fear is also very culturally constructed. So how people around you give birth, the stories they tell at morning tea or in the coffee shop or at mother's group, the um, stories you hear your mother tell, your aunties, your, your friends, your sisters tell, they all have a massive impact on how women then construct childbirth and whether they see childbirth as um, something that, you know, is is empowering and, and powerful, whether they see it as disabling and frightening. And, you know, I think we, in the kind of biomedical model that we construct around around birth for the last sort of couple of hundred years, we've forgotten that the most important organ involved in childbirth is the brain. And we've forgotten that, you know, to our great um, detriment and, and I think to the detriment of what care, the care we give women and the experiences that many women um, have. And fear is the enemy of birth. You, you can't have a woman who's frightened um, labour well. 
uh, her her uterus will not contract as well. Her contractions will be painful. Um, oxytocin won't be produced while adrenaline's high. Endorphins are not going to kick in to give women that wonderful kind of timeless labor land uh, ability to um, cope with what's given them. So when women are frightened, we take them out of that amazing primitive brain that you need in order to labor and give birth, that that brain that is not about time, it's not about logic, it's deeply intuitive, it's rhythmic, it is, it's an ancient, ancient brain and the only way to get to that ancient brain and then that allows the flow of all of the hormones that make labour and birth work so well is for women to feel safe and women will only feel safe when they are surrounded by people who support them appropriately when they are in environments that facilitate physiology and support their needs around things like pain relief and where we don't put unwarranted pressures and intrusions on that process. And and I think, you know, also the way that women give birth very much reflects what we think of women. And I find it fascinating that all the, the countries that... Um, you know, do the best as far as they have the lowest intervention rates, they have the best outcomes for mothers and babies, and they regularly rank as the top places in the world to be a woman, which are often the Scandinavian countries and New Zealand, for example. You know, these countries put a lot of um, a lot of importance on the work of women and the work of mothering and, and the importance of women in society. And, um, you know, women are, are seen much more as something to be cherished and to be looked after. I think in much of the Western world, we have made women almost become the the machine that produces the product, that the product that society is invested in is the baby and not the mother, and we've got it back to front. Mm-hmm. And if we cherish mothers more, and if we recognise that keeping them feeling safe and, and trusting of themselves and others in their birth environment would lead to much, much better outcomes, we'd be in a much better place than we are today. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that's a sentiment echoed among a lot of birth workers today. It's just getting back to that womanhood and cherishing the value that women have and, and what we're doing and the important work that we do and, and putting that back into the centre. And so um, a lot of that, I think, is down to the... Um, empowering of women and getting them and I, I don't like using that word empowering because I think it's used a lot more than it needs to be but I think when it comes to birth it's very valid and giving women the power to feel like she is the the center of this you know the, the person that's going to make not make or break this but certainly as far as birth is concerned when she feels like she has the information that she needs and she can make the decisions and feel confident and fearless then that is the beginning of such a beautiful moment that everything sort of feeds off that birth moment, doesn't it? And and whether or not the mother feels that way can have such an impact on that birth moment. So thinking about how um, the, the how we can get women to feel more empowered and how that journey to, for women to feel fearless so they can tap into that intuitive brain. What do you think are the most important factors that we need to do to support women to get to that place? Well, I think the critical, critical heart of all of this is relationships. Um, you know, giving birth is a social event. It is a, an event that involves the, the mind and the emotions and the body, but we have relegated it to a clinical event. And so getting back to having uh, women and midwives able to work together through the pregnancy where the, the baggage is dealt with, where the concerns and fears are expressed and strategies come up so that when you get into that birth environment with that midwife you know you can be you you know she understands that your mother you know is is um being diagnosed with cancer and going through that she understands your fears around how the two-year-old is going to take cope with this baby she knows you hate the smell of lavender she's got all of this important stuff at her fingertips so she comes in and she she really seeps into your environment. She seeps into the crevices around you and she is there for what you need and she doesn't take over. She likes you. She communicates with you and you feel safe. And I think that the you know the relationships are at the heart of this and we've, we've made relationships almost like a fancy extra and we've forgotten that that's central. So... I think that's critical and if you can get that right, I think you've kind of gone 80% of the way down the track to making birth right and all the randomised control trials will tell us that. 
you know, the Cochrane Systematic Review tells us that if you have a midwife, you know, not only do you have less intervention, not only are you more satisfied, not only is it more cost effective, but you have fewer babies dying as well. So it's just mm-hmm. a no-brainer mm-hmm. that relationships are probably one of the most powerful drugs on earth when it comes to birth. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's fundamental. But I, And then I think, you know, the, the place that you give birth, I think all of those other things are really secondary issues. They're not unimportant. But I, you know, and this is where, you know, Kate's study has been a real eye-opener for me, and that is we, the experts, love to be experts. We love to come in and save women. Well, you know, that's actually not our role. And we have missed out on a huge potential by not getting women and their partners on board and invested in what, what you know, what is going to happen in their own births. You know, we, we feel almost like we, we, we're trying to drag them through and save them and, and, you know, make this experience better. And I think really, you know, with the study that, that Kate undertook, what it did was say, oh, gosh, we can't come in and hand over. We have to be invested and we have to work for our normal birth. Um, just speaking of relationships, it's a really important thing when women are in that kind of antenatal period where they're getting ready for birth and their partners are a great source of support and comfort when they understand what's happening as well. So women being educated about what's happening to their bodies, what will happen, they've got strategies to prepare, they've got people who love and support them. It makes a huge difference to how they come in and approach the whole situation where they feel strong or not strong, depending on the kind of relationships and support that they've got going and how they how confident they feel to build those relationships when they're in labour as well. Mm. So just talking about the study that you've carried out then, Kate, if we can just talk a little bit more about that. I mean, the reason I got, got in touch with both of you is because they, it hit the press about how you know, your research has, has hinted that childbirth education really needs to be revisited. And so if you mm. could just talk a little bit more about w- what your study did, what it looked at, but, uh, and how we think we need, how you, you're saying we need to really revisit childbirth education. So... We, I think currently, childbirth education in Australia is fairly uniform, where women are, uh, they go to, to their various hospitals where they're going to give birth and they learn about um, some things that will happen during their pregnancy, a little bit of time is spent on what will happen during the birth and then the postnatal period, so it's parenting education. And what we thought was women are not being prepared very well for the actual birth. And we've forgotten about, in our striving to medicalise, we have forgotten about preparation for the woman and her partner in how to give birth and what the body is doing and what that means. So we looked at um, a couple of different courses uh, around one called She Births and another Acupressure for Labour and Birth course. And we we looked at the evidence that was surrounding these courses and we put together a course that had only evidence-based techniques. So we looked at different complementary therapies that had some evidence for pain relief in labour. But we also looked at the education around normal birth. What does normal birth look like? How does the body respond? What hormones are involved? And what happens to the brain? And what happens when you relax and you move with your body and you go with what's happening Um, and you understand what's happening in your body. So when women and their partners realised what was happening in their body and what the process of labour was and what was normal, they were then able to use the different complementary medicine techniques that we incorporated into the course. So they had to understand the physiology of birth first. And then we looked at different complementary therapies like acupressure, yoga, breathing techniques, massage, um, uh, massage, I've forgotten the other one, Hannah, what was the? Visualisation. 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 And very, very importantly, it was around partner support. So the partner didn't need to be the dad of the baby. The partner could be anybody, but it was whoever was attending the birth with the woman. And we, so it was a couple intervention and we really looked at relationship building and we got 
them to practice the techniques and what if this happened or what if that happened, what technique would you put into place? So they rehearsed it, they went home, they practiced their breathing, they came back the next day. So it was a two-day workshop and, and fed back what they liked, what they didn't like. And then they went into the birth with just the partner and with the knowledge that the midwife was there and most midwives had understanding of these techniques. So they were, we talked about how to build relationships with the midwives, how to, um, how to be within that hospital environment and use the hospital to their advantage in using the bed, say, to lean on rather than to lie on or to how to move around the room using the different things that were in the room. So we looked at how to, well, it is an empower, empowerment of women, how to empower them to use the situation that they were in to their best advantage with the techniques that we had taught them and understanding what it was that they were doing. And then afterward, we interviewed a subset of women to find out what happened, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they felt worked for them, and what was the most important thing about the course that they took into the labour with them. In the interviews, we found that women, they liked different techniques and on average they used about three or four techniques each during the labour and they liked different things for different reasons and their partners, 100% of the partners said that they liked acupressure the most because it gave them a sense of confidence and an ability to be in the moment with their partner with a capacity to do something mm. in the labour. And that was important for the partner to be there hands-on. Mm. And the woman, the women generally said that they felt protected and comforted and safe and able to give birth within that kind of mindset and within that emotional framework. Now, one thing that I picked up on in reading the study was that the importance of really just starting all that with a really great foundation of knowledge about birth and how a lot of the current education systems are just, like you said, very geared around the medicalization of birth and, and, mm. and portraying that as a normal way of having birth. So, for example, all the drugs and, and how mm. being informed on the physiology of birth really laid a, gr a great foundation to enable them to move forward and use those tools. Would you mind just talking a little bit yeah. more about that aspect of it? Yeah, that was the most important thing. And a couple of other studies have found the same thing, like the SHIP trial in the UK found that that foundation of um, understanding the physiology of labour and that real education about what is normal and not what is a med what not about what medicalised birth looks like, what's a normal birth and what's the normal physiology and what hormones are happening and how you can work with that, that was a really important part of it. And when women understood what was normal, they then felt inspired to be able to walk to work towards that normal birth they wanted to have a normal birth when they understood the benefits of it when they realized that they had all the hormones within the body themselves and that they had techniques to enhance those hormones they really were able to put the techniques into practice because they understood the fundamental physiology of what was happening in their body and yeah. i think what i found really interesting was the way that midwives respond to women that clearly have an mm -hmm. understanding about birth as well and how by informing yourself on birth as a woman can in, can determine how the healthcare professionals around you may or may not relate to you during your birth. Yeah, that, that was interesting. We did do a focus group with midwives as well in the main study hospital and we really found they strongly said that they don't really have enough time during those antenatal visits in the hospital environment to really get to know the women the way in the way in which Hannah was talking about before and to um, to convey all of that information. So when women came into labour and birth with that knowledge already there, they were able to work with them and they didn't need to educate them at the time. So they were really able to go with what the woman was doing. They followed. They said that they followed the woman. Mm -hmm. So they were able to she was able to lead they followed and they were able to support the partner as well so that was a really um it was an interesting observation by the midwives that they could follow the woman if she already knew what she was kind of doing mm. and they lamented the fact that they didn't have the time and the capacity to be able to put all that effort and work in prior to each woman going into labor mm. and so what can, i hear can I, from, yeah go on sorry i just wanted to make a comment on that because i think what is really interesting, and this, this sort of 
has also been seen in other work that, that I've done, is that the majority of midwives have become what we call go-with-the-flow midwives. They, you know, a woman comes in, wants an epidural, you go with the flow on that one. A woman comes in and she wants, um, you know, to do it naturally, you go with the flow on that one. And it's become a survival technique. And the more and more intervention occurs, the more midwives just kind of almost relinquish that 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 training and that, you know, what, what really their job is, which is about optimizing physiology. And so when women and their partners come in and they come in and say, we want the lights dim and we want to stay off the bed and we'd like to use water, it's, a, it's as though that old brain of what we are about, that ancient knowledge comes alive and goes, oh, yeah, fabulous. So by getting the partners, the women and their partners to come in, working for normal you've got the midwives on board and the team was very powerful as a result of that and i think we've worked very hard on getting trying to get midwives to change and trying to get midwives to change women and we've forgotten that actually we should be working with women and their partners and that we should then all be working together on the same page once we've we've got that sorted Mm. because it's what i'm hearing is that you know once the woman decides that she's going to take control of birth and I, I say that control because it's not it's an illusion at the end of the day but actually being proactive in how she's approaching mm-hmm. birth and and taking the first steps to learn about birth with her partner and and empower herself with the tools and techniques once she makes that very conscious decision then it's almost as though those around her will just kind of show up in a way because the midwife suddenly their their default that the training of the reason they're they're doing that work suddenly gets awoken within them and it's like yes this is why i'm doing this of course and here's a woman who's going to respond and hear and understand and suddenly it brings out the best in everybody um once the woman makes that first step is that is that is that how you see that yeah and the other thing is you see if we see that happening more then midwives become much more physiological in their paradigm so in in the research we did where we observed women giving birth in in at home and in birth centers and in delivery wards we came up with really three paradigms midwives sit in one is they're very much a physiological paradigm you see those midwives mainly in, in home birth situations and birth centers then you've got this very very dominant go with the flow which tends to kind of dominate in mainstream delivery wards and sometimes in birth centers and then you've got this small number but very i guess quite dangerous and worrying group of midwives who are we call technocrats who will do anything to get you on the bed and get a monitor on you because they're terrified of birth and if we can move the go with the flow which are the dominant group of midwives more down into the physiological paradigm what we saw is that's where the most normal birth happened but by getting women and their partners on board and you then see more normal, you then kind of desire normal and you see normal as possible and you aspire to it. I think that the revolution occurs in the whole kind of grouping of midwife and woman and partner as opposed to us trying to drag women. Um, mm. Okay, you know, we're going to try and drag you down the normal birth path. Mm. So it's much, much more effective in the end. So women go into birth with when they haven't had education around what normal birth looks like they go in with such a huge amount of fear that even when the midwife is trying to drag them down that physiological route they don't want to go because they're so afraid and that's the that's the shame that they don't that what they've seen on tv women screaming and lying on beds is what they think normal birth is and so undoing that fear takes a lot of work and that was another thing that came up in the in the study women's fear was reduced significantly by attending those that workshop and that was the big thing when their fear was reduced they were able to really think i can do this and my body can do this and i want to use these techniques Mm -hmm. but it was fear reduction that was really big so a good place to uh, something to avoid would be to not watch any of those awful medical dramas and reality shows about birth and women screaming with their birth on on backs right yeah that's what we said to them so watch it I've got a dream and, um, you know, just like we have banned cigarette advertising, I have a dream that one day we will not even be able to put those t- those shows on TV. I think they are unbelievably um, influential and they are worrying. And if you actually look and people have done analysis on these baby shows and you and analyse the numbers of normal births and numbers of emergencies, they're vastly disproportionate to reality. 
So people, and the, you know, I mean, I know one person who was involved in the U, the U.S. program, I think it was called Baby Catching, you know. They film a beautiful birth in a birth and, and then it never appeared in the program. And when, you know, the midwives asked why not, they said because, you know, what sells is drama and rushing down the corridor to theatre. Well, we therefore, you know, media both reflects and creates reality. And so yeah. these these shows are creating a false reality which then becomes the reality because we have just made it happen. So I, I look at the impact that it has on, on our daughters. Uh, you know, Hannah and I are both mother of daughters. When they talk about, oh, what they've seen on TV and doesn't it hurt and, it, oh, this is birth, you know, I see the impact that it has on the girls that are coming up now. That's all they know about birth. They've never seen a real or a normal birth. It's frightening. I, I started a petition here in the UK against a show that we have called One Born Every Minute. And mm. it was because I, I, I totally agree with everything that you said, Hannah, about how the media, yes, it reflects, but it also creates a lot of this fear in women. They think that's what's normal. And I, and I had a huge backlash from a lot of women that saying, how dare you ban my favourite show? And I wasn't calling for a ban by any means, but certainly for it to be made very clear that this is, this is edited for drama and doesn't reflect normal birth. And so a lot of women saying, I used it to prepare for my birth. It was invaluable. It was invaluable. And then I said, well, how did that go? Well, it was, I had a cesarean and it was really painful. I was like, well, isn't that interesting how those women that tend to watch that as a preparation mm -hmm. are almost on a very strange way training their subconscious that that is the way it's going to go. And so yes. really, I think women should absolutely avoid watching anything like that and just seek out those positive births that are just all over YouTube and listen to stories of women having those empowering experiences because that's what's going to help them have the most positive birth, in my opinion. And you see, the thing with parenting education, and I've called, this, I've called it a giant orientation program to hospital policy and procedure, that we've taken something that was originally came about, you know, in the 60s and 70s to get parents to take control and make changes and, and ask for different things within our medicalized system. So, you know, they were externally run originally and then we've had our systems take them up and go, oh, that's a good idea, let's us start teaching them. And slowly you watch the morphing occurring. And I recently put something on Facebook and I, I said, you know, I think that... Um, you know, when when health services get hold of parent education, they slowly morph it into, I called it the opiate of the masses, actually. I didn't mince words around it. And, uh, you know, I think there's this slow intrusion of the system into, into, into basically training women and their partners into conformity. And it was interesting. I asked people to then message me privately if they didn't feel, you know, comfortable saying it publicly. And the amount of stories about midwives who had been pulled up before the director of nursing and midwifery or, you know, complained about by an obstetrician because they dare mention water birth or they dare mention, you know, using massage or something that wasn't within the, the repertoire. But this is how the system controls the message. And, and I actually am starting to feel much more strongly about the fact we shouldn't actually allow the deliverer of the health service to have control over parent education, which um, I think it, it's, you know, I think it's a conflict of interest. Mm. And uh, I worry about the kind of um, the dumbing down and, and, and parent education becoming the opiate of the masses. Now, I want to touch back on the thing that you said earlier, Hannah, was about the three groups of midwives that we had. And there's, a, there's another, there's a third group you talk about, the technocrats, which are very fearful of birth, you said. And so I'm interested, you know, just going back to fear in birth and how fear has such an important role to play in birth when it doesn't go brilliantly. And, and often we talk about fear among the woman, you know, among the, the woman that's about to birth a baby. But we, let, we don't often talk about the fear that might reside among the birthing professionals, among the midwives. And I'd love, you know, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about the fear that you perceive to be happening from the midwifery, from a midwife perspective. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, we've spent an awful lot of time researching women's fear and, and sitting there and making, you know, all sorts of, you know, educated comments about it. And I would say we are the manufacturers of fear. Um, I, you know, my own thinking, I, I left hospital midwifery because of the day that 
you know, as a really experienced midwife and I could suture in the dark, I could cannulate, you know, in a jiffy. I was one of those super midwives. And I saw this woman walking down the corridor towards me in the birth unit and she was with her tall husband and she was a small Asian woman. And before she'd even reached the desk, I had thought, oh, my God, long, hard labor, you know, oxytocin, forceps delivery, cerebral palsy, legal case. And I was so confronted that I had done that and I remember that day and I thought if I'm doing that in my head how is what I'm doing in my head affecting how I practice and coming out in the birth room and and I left and I left clinical practice and then you know a few years later went back in and went back into home birth and rediscovered my trust for birth and rediscovered and women were the ones who made me trust birth again so women made me trust birth then I trusted birth then I helped women trust birth then they helped me trust birth so we entered this wonderful cycle of hope and trust as opposed to this fear and and risk obsession so health professionals we mark we we manufacture fear in so many ways we manufacture it the way we speak we the language we use the environments that we put women the way that we deliver information in a way that will um, gear women to make decisions down a pathway that we'd really like them to choose the the lack of all of the information on the table and you know what one day we're going to have the ability to measure the way that our fear actually causes hormonal shifts in women. I'm very convinced, and I've looked at this a few times with different midwives, and I've looked at how outcomes are different, and why do some midwives seem to have lots of hemorrhages, and you know, and other midwives seem to have lots of transfers, and 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 I think that not only is that fear a reality in affecting how we practice, I think that the the toxins of fear are wafting around birth rooms and they are altering outcomes. And I think it is, you know, I always say you, you can't go taking the, like the old biblical saying, you cannot take the speck out of your sister's eye until you got the jolly big log out of your own. And yeah. health professionals got to get the log out of their own eye and then, and then they can start working on the speck in women's eye. Mm. And I think as well, the thing that I think women need to be aware of is when they're birthing, a birthing woman is incredibly vulnerable to picking up on other other people's feelings in the room because of the very nature of birth that often and I've had stories uh, from women that I you know I talked to a lot of women about their positive birth stories a lot of women also you know doulas as well who say that it's very clear that when there's a, a, a fearful person in the room that isn't a woman how the birthing woman just seems to kind of pick up on that and, and almost starts absorbing it and how important it is to really eradicate fear from everyone in that birthing room because anybody who's carrying any fear will impact that woman in birth and she really needs to almost be able to create a bubble around herself to avoid picking up on anybody else's fear because she's the one that's going to take it on the chin basically isn't she it's absolutely right and you know i kind of say to midwives now there's really two approaches to this do you see women as capacity or do you see women as catastrophe and you know i think we have created um birth into this fear of the catastrophe and you can't, you know, I, I also think that our role as a, as a midwife, I see my role very much as a coach. And my role is to stand at the starting line next to this supreme athlete that we've been on a nine-month journey with and to say, you, go, you can do this, you've got this, you know you can do this, we've talked about this. But what we often do in that coach role is we stand there and go, oh, the hurdles are a bit high today. Oh, just watch out for the bend, you know, over there. And oh, I'm not sure you're going to be able to make this. This is the way that we coach. And the language we use with women, the, the fear language we use, the, the constant kind of um, approach of all the things we screen for that could possibly go wrong. We spend so much time in the world of catastrophe and we spend much less time in the world of capacity. And you're absolutely right. Women are when you when you go when you labour you and all of the hormones that are surging through your body, it takes you into an other world. It takes you into a world where we almost pierce the veil into that other world. We we almost end up in a spiritual dimension. And in those moments, we are imprintable. We are enormously affected. We remember the facial expressions, the eye roll, the way the hand felt when it touched us. Was it harsh? Was it loving? Was it brisk? Was it professional? You know, all of those things are absolutely emphasized. Women in labor 
are the most incredibly intuitive and responsive beings. And if, if we don't understand that, we don't get that, then, you know, we've, we've really got a major problem in our role as midwives. Now, Kate, just going back to some of the techniques, you know, you, you, you work a lot, a lot of research that you've done is around the complementary therapies, the medicines that are used by women to help them to cope and to have a better birth experience. And we sort of touched uh-huh. on those a little bit earlier. Would you mind sort of sharing a little bit more about what you've learned from the research about those things that can help those women to kind of move past their fear, but also to help them manage things like pain during labour? What worked for them in the research? Okay, um, so we we started off with the techniques, as I said, that had an evidence base, mm. and we put them together in such a way that once the woman had had the physiological um, education, we looked at how you apply those techniques, like acupressure. We taught them a whole range of different acupressure techniques and things that could be used before the birth as well as during the birth for pain relief and after. We looked at how the partners can do a couple of different massage techniques. So one of the massage techniques was around um, enhancing the endorphins that women um, that women are producing in their bodies and the oxytocin and how that physical touch, light physical touch and eye contact and soft words and kindness, all of that stuff can be really enhancing of the oxytocin. And then during, so that between contractions and then during contractions, how that strong massage around the side of the of the bottom can really help to relieve pain in the pelvis. Um, then we looked at uh, breathing techniques, two, four different breathing techniques that were for during the contractions, um, in the early stage, during established labour, during um, uh, transition, and then actually during the pushing stage or the or the third stage of labour, second stage of labour. So women as the baby was descending, different breathing techniques to cope with that. And what would be the most pain relieving? So having those big breaths that really move the diaphragm and once the diaphragm is activated, the vagus nerve can release hormones from the brain. So we looked at all of the reasons why the techniques work and things uh, within visualisation, looking at why visualisation when you engage in strong visualization that's competitive with pain receptors in the brain and that's why visualization works so when women women understood things like that they had more impetus to put it in place Mm. and so that was we, we went through each of them separately we looked at the different visualizations and relaxation methods and how when being in a relaxed state and reducing fear how all those hormones, those lovely hormones of labour can come in and start to interact and do their job and how partners can make a big difference with those that hormonal response and that relaxation response. Mm. So getting women out of their fear, out of their conscious brains and really getting them down into their bodies and letting their subconscious brain or their reptilian brain kind of take over and really allowing them to be in their bodies and not worrying about what anybody else in the room is doing. Mm. So it's tuning out to others in the room. So there were those were the kind of techniques. And then we talked about how you could put them together. So how could you do breathing and visualisation together? How could you incorporate massage and acupressure? If you felt the baby was posterior um, in that your contractions changed in certain ways, then what you could do about that, how you can combine techniques and get down on the floor, on all fours, rolling your hips. So it was about how to combine things and how to manage different things that came up and that the partner was a coach uh, if that's what they wanted and also how to communicate with the partner during labour. If they did or didn't want a certain thing, they could had they had hand signals that they could use so they didn't need to talk or they had things at the ready that they'd practiced beforehand. So it was all a lot around trust and rehearsal and building a rapport with a partner and letting the midwife be part of that part of that group. So it was getting the midwife on board. How do we get her to come in and support this team effort? Mm. Um, and then what we found was really very significant, and I think Hannah will agree it was a, a bigger effect size than we were anticipating. We thought that it was good, but we didn't realise it would have such a big impact. And we found that epidural rates, which was the main thing we looked at, was reduced 
from 68% in the control group down to 23% in the study group. Wow. So more than it's halved. And caesarean section rates went from 32% um, in the in the control group down to 18% in the study group. And that's nearing the WHO recommendations of 15%. And I don't think any other antenatal education courses found any reduction like that. And so we were, you know, really thrilled with that with that outcome but we also found that there was a uh, second stage of labor was a was a bit shorter by about half an hour which in the second stage is significant um, they were less likely to need to have needing augmentation or extra syntocinin during labor and that babies were also less likely to need resuscitation at birth which is really really important such a big impact yeah. And then, Huge. you know, with people who are worried about, oh, but, you know, what if what if there's more um, hemorrhage or more vaginal births mean more perineal trauma? We found nothing to suggest that there was any increase in hemorrhage or perineal trauma. In fact, perineal trauma was reduced in the study group and there was a very low rate, which was similar, um, a couple of percent in each of the groups for, for hemorrhage. And and no no real adverse outcomes in in either of the groups which was great if you're um you know any big adverse outcomes so by by avoiding cesarean section though we were able to um to show a big difference between the two groups which was really it was really very exciting so i mean in the in the study that you shared with me kate one of the there was a, a section that described a lot of the fears that women tend to have going into mm. birth um, maybe mm-hmm. around losing dignity pain mm-hmm. having perineal trauma and so already mm. what you've shared with us today on on the chat that we're having is that by taking an active role by preparing by educating mm. yourself in birth and having some great tools at your fingertips as it were you can go a long way to kind of avoiding those outcomes of the, the central to women's fears yes yes and i think a lot of them a lot of those outcomes are because of the fears so if you're reducing those fears and normalizing what happens in the labor room what what are they likely to see and do if that's normalized then they're not so concerned about what might happen mm. but also we spent a bit of time talking about what was their biggest fear and they often they were worried about saying it and it was things like um you know that they would lose bowel control was a big one that yeah. they would um have perineal trauma that they would need stitches it was so lots of those things they didn't want to be undressed or lose dignity all of that that stuff but we talked about it so partners and and it was an interesting it was an interesting um interaction between women and partners when they actually expressed those fears and the partner didn't didn't do anything but be supportive that fear was able to be addressed and then they were able to get into what was happening in the in the class but it was important to get it out there in the first place mm-hmm. how I'm many s- women shared the fears and i've done a lot of research into fear among birth and, and also among women who experience tocophobia which is the extreme fear of birth and pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and and as you just said yeah the fear of losing bowel control fear of pain um, a huge among but one thing I mean the, the one about bowel control is one that's really never never talked about and yet I think it's mm-hmm. one of the it has I think it's got to be one of the most important fears because a it's never talked mm-hmm. about because it feels like it's too embarrassing but also yep. when you have that fear you literally hold on you don't let go down below and that can have exactly. adverse effects in birth and the woman and I remember I read a brilliant blog leading up to my second birth and it was a midwife who wrote that if you feel like you need to have a poo in labor it's not poo it's your baby's head putting pressure on the same part of the body and so you think you need it but it's not that it's your baby so if you have that sensation just push because it's your not push but allow it to let go because it's your baby coming and I'm so grateful that I read that piece of advice because whenever I had that sensation myself I literally went for it and and I had a very quick, painless, easy labour my second time round. And and I think and I've since spoken to a lot of women, shared that advice, and they've all come back to me going, I'm so glad you told me that because that was invaluable for me. And yeah, I just didn't yeah. care if I did poo everywhere because actually it doesn't matter. And I think it's really important to talk about that one in particular because it's just not talked about enough and it's so important physiologically for the woman in birth. Yeah. And when you bring it up in the class, 
they all start nodding like they didn't yeah. want to say, but that's really top of the pops for their fear list. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was important to discuss it. Well, um, I, we've been chatting for ages and there's so much more I'd love to be able to ask you guys, but we're coming up to the, the you know, we, we've been talking enough already, as it were, for the time of the podcast. So I'm just wondering if there's anything else that um, Hannah or Kate would like to share. I mean, you know, for mothers preparing birth to help them really get themselves into a fearless place so they can increase the chances of having that positive birth experience. Is there anything that we haven't said already that you think needs to be said? Hannah? Look, I'm not an advocate for completely fear-free birth because I think a certain amount of fear is protective and I've, I've written about this, you know. We, fear gets us to do work. It gets us to think about strategies. It gets us to gather around us people who will make us feel safe. It, it, it has a very important protective aspect. There's fear that helps us make birth safer and helps us deal with issues before we get to the moment. And then there's fear that absolutely binds us up, and it's illogical fear, and it, it, it's created fear, it's manufactured fear. So I think we have to separate it off, and I, I would never say to a woman, don't have any fear. I would say, well, have you got any fears? Let's have a chat about them. Um, so, so I think that that's an important aspect. My advice to women is get yourself a good midwife, invest in relationships, and make sure that the parent education that you do is it probably external to the, the hospital that you're going to and that it is a model of care and a model of, of education that empowers you and engages and involves your partner and switches on your ability to believe you can do this. And I would say, you know, my advice to midwives is if you don't see women as full of capacity and if you are starting to see women as full of catastrophe, you need to get a grip. You need to either move on from your job or you need to do some serious self-work because you're doing harm. Kate, is there anything you'd like to add to any advice for women listening to this? I would say get to know your bodies. Go and do yoga and acupuncture or things that, that allow you to get to know how your body moves and how your body works and what works for you in pregnancy. And ask lots of questions find out everything and go to antenatal education like Hannah said that's not attached to a hospital that doesn't have an agenda that just wants to support and help you and be surrounded by people that you trust and love you well thank you for that thank you both Hannah and Kate for joining me today on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast I'm sure the women listening to the show will be enormously grateful for you sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and expertise so I'd like to thank you once more for coming on the show thanks Thanks for having us You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini-series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamaship community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.